Do you want to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God? Do you want to be encouraged and strengthened to live it out boldly and effectively in your life? Welcome to the Open Hearts in a Closed World podcast, a podcast where women meet together to model and grow in Christ through the Word of God, as it says in Hebrews 10.25, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are so glad you are taking the time to be with us. So get ready. Now here's your co-hosts, Brooke Bartz and Aaron Coates, to talk, strengthen, build up, come alongside, and encourage you as women to live life verse by verse. Welcome back to another edition of the Open Hearts podcast. I am with my co-host, Aaron Coates, and I'm Brooke Bartz. And ladies, we're glad to be back. It's been longer than a month for this last um, episode that we've been planning and we're just now getting to it, but we're excited about talking to you about these verses um, in 2 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. And I want to say thank you to Brandon Kimber, always of AGTV, for letting us be able to record and stream through his channel. And we also have our YouTube channel, Open Hearts in a Closed World, where you can watch the podcast and then you can listen to it Um, on any major streaming podcast platform. So um, we're glad to be back and um, I'm excited to get going. And so Aaron is going to um, pray with us, pray for us as we talk about this verse, as we dive into it, look at the verse in context, how it can affect us and apply in our lives as women, even though we're looking at it, knowing that Paul is speaking to Timothy, coming alongside of him to carry the torch and the flame of being the pastor and holding on to these biblical truths in the church so that the local body will be able to stand and refuting false teachers, all the persecution he's enduring. But for us as women of God, as Christian believing sisters, there is so much truth here that we can take in our time period that we're living in to hold fast to the gospel as well and to not shirk back. And so we're on 2 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. Aaron's going to pray for us, and then we'll get started. Okay, let me pray. Father, we are so thankful that we get to study your word, that it is true, that it is inerrant, that it is sufficient for everything, for life, for godliness, for our worship of you. And we thank you that by your spirit, you open up your word to us and you teach us wonderful things about your law so that we may see you and all of your glory and live according to your word in a manner that is pleasing to you. And so we just pray that you would be with us right now, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to understand and to know your word, um, that you would keep us from error and keep us in the truth of your word so that you are glorified and that we are transformed into the image of your son. Father, we're so thankful that your word, though written so long ago, is so very applicable for our lives and that we can carry it out and live it out and you can um, be glorified in that. So we pray you just be with us and help us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So it's funny because I have these verses. um, I feel like, uh, how long have we been studying this for? (laughs) A year? And so I've got now in our women's ministry, we've moved on and we're in Colossians. And so I've got Colossians all inner working in my mind and I'm always writing a lesson and that, but one lesson behind in teaching. So, uh, if you get interwoven some Colossians in here, I'm really sorry, (laughs) but let me just read the passage for us. It says, for this reason, I also suffer these things 
but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day, retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus guard through the Holy spirit who dwells within us, the treasure, which has been entrusted to you. This is such a beautiful passage because here again, you see Paul's just fatherly love of Timothy. He is putting that confidence in him that he is convinced of these things. And again, we're dealing with Timothy. His um, father in the faith is in prison. He is in the worst conditions. He is under Nero's um, rule and he is in jail because of the persecution that has come to Christians. And if you want a fantastic just recap of, of the vile life of Nero, MacArthur just preached a sermon on, on how to respond to the government. And uh, it's, the, it's all the stuff with Gavin Newsom, but um, he, he preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago, just saying, how do you respond to the government? And that the government has always been the persecuting arm of Christians. And, um, so it was just amazing to see just how vile this man was and that he hated Christians. And I couldn't even articulate to you how awful he is, but Paul is in prison because of Nero and his hatred for, um, Christ for, uh, Christians, he wanted to live this vile life. And so men like Paul were in the way of him being free to be able to carry that out. And so here he is talking to Timothy. Of course, there's a little bit of timidness coming from his son in the faith because Paul is in prison. And so he's reminding him to kindle afresh the gift that is within him and that to stand firm on the gospel and that the things that Paul has learned that he is not in prison because he's done anything wrong, but like Christ was crucified because he was within the will of God. Paul is also going to be persecuted and ultimately beheaded, not because he's suffering because of unrighteousness, but because he's suffering for righteousness sake. And we know that all those who are godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so he's just saying, I am suffering, but I am not going to be ashamed. And it's so funny because that's the thing that people try to do to you when you're, when you stand up for the truth, they try to shame you for that. And that was such a theme when we went through the things that we went through, uh, with the government was how many people tried to shame me, uh, for, mm-hmm. for taking a stand and, and it's like, you know, I'm out there sharing the gospel and you're trying to shame me for standing up. And, uh, and so that's still, I still face some of that today that when you take a stand on the truth, no matter what the truth is, um, that people will attempt to shame you and silence you for that. And so Paul is just saying, I am, I'm not suffering these things because I am doing anything wrong, but he was suffering imprisonment and, and all of the beatings and abandonment and the alienation for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the Lord's name. And so he is just telling Timothy, like, I'm facing this too. I'm not going to be ashamed. You need not to be ashamed of me either, because you're probably also going to face this. And we know that Timothy was in prison at one point. Um, And so when you look at the things that, um, the reason I suffer these things is obviously because Paul was in prison, but he even suffered beyond that. We know from acts, um, uh, nine that, uh, the Lord said, I'm going to show him how much he is going to suffer for my namesake. And so when you look at second Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, you just get the gamut of the stuff that Paul had faced in regards to his suffering and shame. And again, I know we've talked about this so many times, but Paul was a godly man, full of meekness, full of strength in the spirit, a man of conviction. And all of that was 
birthed from suffering. And so we cannot run when suffering comes our way. And so you have the whole laundry list of, of the stuff that um, he was facing. He was facing just the hard heartedness of the nation of Israel. He was facing political aggression from the leaders of Israel and from Rome as he's being persecuted under Roman law. Um, he, he, um, he was being beaten. He was, he had been in prison multiple times. He had 39 lashes from the Jews. And then on top of that, he had the daily concern of the churches, which, you know, if you're in ministry in any way, you know, that the burden of the health of the church, of the purity of the church is, is a daily concern and burden on the hearts of those who love the bride of Christ. And so this was a heavy burden for him to make sure that he's passing that baton to Timothy, that Timothy's not going to give up. And so don't, he wasn't going to be ashamed and he did not want Timothy um, to be more ashamed. He knew that from uh, Romans 8, 18, that he considered the suffering of this present time, not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Isn't that wonderful? And so we can look forward to that moment when we see Christ face to face and go like, whatever I suffer here, it just doesn't even matter because I get to see the glory of Christ Jesus and that all of the suffering I'm going to face is that is that is the spirit readying me for the moment that the the moment we see our bridegroom and so he's readying our bridal attire for that and that there's so much heavenly reward in suffering when we suffer faithfully so again he's just um He's just telling Timothy, don't, don't be ashamed. And in Philippians, he talks about it too. I, I will not be put to shame in anything. And so when you stand upon the truth of the word of God, you never have to be embarrassed. You never have to fear man. You just need to know that you are doing right in your heart before the Lord and standing upon his word and that you never have to shrink away from that. So in the word, um, ashamed is, is that shrinking away. You don't have to shrink away because if you shrink away now, likely you'll shrink away at his coming. And so, um, we just want to be really aware of that and not fearing man, but fearing God. And Paul was a man who feared the Lord. And so again, you just see his heart in carrying his son of the faith along. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, don't be ashamed of my suffering and don't be ashamed of the gospel for you. And don't be ashamed of your suffering when it happens. And so that's the same message for us too, that when we stand unapologetically, on the word of God, we do not need to be put to shame in anything. Yeah. And Paul glorified in his sufferings for Christ. You know, do we in our suffering, are we glorifying the Lord? Paul was not in prison for a political cause. He was not in prison for being um, a Christian nationalist. He didn't hold to certain things. He held to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore his suffering came because he preached Christ crucified because the Lord before time had preordained when he was stopped on the road to Damascus, that he would then be the one who would deliver the message to the Gentiles. And we see, we see that in Colossians 1 24, that is, I suffer on the account of my purpose to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. If you are sharing the gospel, if you are standing with the gospel alone of Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. You do not need anything else to carry out the truths of scripture besides the gospel. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to subtract from it. Our glory and our suffering comes because we preach Christ crucified. And so Paul continually is unashamed to be that messenger and, pre and keep preaching Christ. And he's telling Timothy that you now are the one that you have this church 
stand on the gospel alone, stand on the scripture. And guess what? Opposition is going to come and hate is going to come. Like Aaron says, when we defend the true gospel, we're going to be persecuted. And so we look at whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Nothing else for the gospels. And so I think that's important. First Corinthians 9, 12, if others share in the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will not cause no hindrance to what? The gospel of Christ Jesus. And so everything that we do as believers comes back to the gospel. And I think we forget that. We get lost in what's going on with our time period and, and certain views and false theologies and, and world ideologies. But we look at what Paul did and he said, no, it's always about Christ. The sufferings that I've endured, that I'm glorifying in the sufferings for Christ are because I'm unashamed of the gospel. And that's why he suffered for those things. And so the next part of the verse says, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So Aaron, talk to me about that, that part of the verse. Yeah. Let me turn the page. <laughs> okay. So, oh, we did in the lesson, we did like three days on verse 12. So I want to make sure we're not missing anything, but there was some, um, just some heart checks in there of how might being ashamed of the gospel manifest itself in your life? And that would be kind of shrinking away from the gospel or the truth or confronting somebody. So when you know that something is not right and you stay silent on it, um, that that's a shrinking away. And I know I've been guilty of that. You know, when, when sometimes Mormons or Jehovah's witnesses come to the front door and you're busy making dinner and you're just like, come, you know, move along, um, that, you know, there's a shrinking away in that. Cause I would, I'd rather be cooking dinner than actually care about this person's soul. Right. Um, and so sometimes there, it, it can manifest itself like that or being silent when you know that God's name is being blasphemed, um, that you mm. don't stand up and go, Whoa, like that is not okay. Um, and one of the a practical just aspect of that is, uh, one of my, my boys, he, he plays with the kids in the street, well, all the kids know you don't blaspheme the name of the Lord in front of this boy. Well, we prefer that you you were saved and you didn't do it at all. But and sometimes it'll slip and they will apologize to him because they, there's a respect there. And so they realize like, oh, we don't we don't blaspheme the name of God around Caleb or you're going to hear about it. Like <laughs> it'll say something. Um, and so there's just even ways that we can. um we can just shrink away from declaring the truth of the word of God and, and just a fear of publicly aligning with Christ. Um, and so, you know, at one time there was, I think it was Obama or something like that, where he was talking about his, his, his faith in, in God is like a personal relationship. It doesn't, it, you know, if you're working or you're at school and nobody knows you're a Christian, there's probably a, a problem. Like people should know like definitively yeah. that you have aligned yourself publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then another heart question there was like, when you suffer, are you suffering for righteousness sake or are you suffering as a consequence of your sin? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that, you know, sometimes we suffer the discipline of the Lord because we actually have sin in our life. And so that suffering is coming into our life. Uh, and we need 
need to yield to the disciplining hand of God in that and know that discipline for the moment is not joyful, but sorrowful. And that that discipline is coming about in your life, not for you to flee from God and, and feel um, shame and guilt. No, you feel shame and guilt in those to thrust you into the presence of God um, so that you will confess your sin. He's putting his finger on those things for you to confess your sin um, so that you're not suffering for a lack of wisdom or sinfulness, but that um, you, you will suffer for righteousness sake. And so we have to make sure that when we suffer, it's not because we're being foolish and we are buying lies. And, um, that when we call persecution, persecution, it's actually persecution. And, uh, and so we want to be careful of that, but yeah, really just Paul's confidence was in the person of Christ, the totality of his word. And, um, he knew whom he believed in and he was unapologetic about it. So now I'm getting lost with the person. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so, I mean, he believed and was convinced. So, yeah. So keep going with that. He was convinced. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, he was, he believed because he had a faith with certainty. He was assured. And that's where the convincing was, is because he believed on Christ. Like you said, the person, and that is what convinced him of his, um, of his, his affections for Christ is because when you believe the gospel, when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you believe that God sent his son Christ to die on the cross, that that is the only way to salvation is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There are no other roads that lead to heaven. We believe in the son. We believe the father sent the son and that he lived the life that, that we could not live because he was perfect as the God man. And so we are, our sins are placed on him. We are under the full wrath of God till we repent and place our faith in Christ alone. So Paul not only believed in Christ, he believed the person of Christ because Christ appeared to him um, with direct revelation, which we don't have that now. We have the full word of God. And so no one, we do not have an assurance of salvation because Christ appeared to us and our emotions and our, uh, that is what won us to the Lord. It was a righteous act done on our behalf, on our behalf by Christ, because we have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ alone. And so when it says believed and convinced, what, it, what does he mean by I'm believed and convinced? He knows with certainty. So how does he know that with certainty? Yeah. And, and in one of the questions there, it says, do you notice how Paul doesn't say in what I have believed, but in whom I have believed. And that's so important for us to know, like we need to know what we know. Um, but we need to know who we know because the Christian faith is about a person and it is about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even in the, in the full totality of the Trinity, um, that God is glorified in the person of Jesus Christ as he is revealed to us through the spirit. And so Paul is saying in whom I've believed. And so he has that unwavering confidence, um, that, that, Christ Jesus is who he says he is and that he is the only means of salvation. And again, you just said it, he was called on the road to Damascus. He had that moment where he was brought from death to life, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And he was confident that who he knew, um, was the Lord Jesus Christ was the very God he was persecuting. And so there was just this unwavering confidence in him and he knew with certainty. So Oida, which is no carries the idea of certainty in that John MacArthur said that, um, 
So how do we better understand Paul's confidence in Christ? This was just an unwavering, undeniable confidence in the truth because the spirit had revealed it to him. And so we can have that certain hope too. Hope is not just this, oh, you know, I hope it's going to be a nice day. No, hope is the assurance uh, or faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And hope is this like true, real reality um, that we look forward to. It's not just this, like how we use hope today. Hope hope is a certainty that we knew. And so he had this unwavering confidence that, that God is who he says he is. And um, he need not to be ashamed of that. And so my question to the ladies who are listening, is that your confidence? Is Jesus Christ your confidence mm-hmm. as revealed in his word? You, you, you don't need anything but the sufficiency of his word to tell you who he is. This is a book written, literally breathed out by God through the Holy Spirit and through um, men to write the word of God. And we can have full confidence in that. Um, it hasn't changed. It, it hasn't moved. It, God has kept it and protected it all this time. And so is Jesus Christ your confidence? And if it's not, you have to turn from your sin and put your full confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, the full work, his, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and ongoing intercession on our behalf, his return when he comes back. Because if you do not put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because he's the exclusive way to the father. He is the only one that could have taken on the sins of his people and faced the full fury of the wrath of God on our behalf, and then be resurrected on the third day, showing that he was the propitiation that he satisfied the wrath of God because of his perfect, um, sinless life. And, and, and so all you have is your own works. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, all you have is your own works and you cannot stand before a holy God. And so Paul knew that and and that Christ was his confidence and that the gospel was his greatest treasure. And um, yeah, those are just, those are things that we have to, we have to believe the Lord is the uncontested, uncreated creator of the universe. And he has a plan and Jesus Christ is, is the center of that plan. Yeah. And think talking about believing why we have to believe on the person of Jesus Christ before we can believe, because when we go to third world countries, when, when we have missionaries, um, you know, I have some friends who are, who are missionaries. And one of the things that, you know, that they get into is they, they have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost before anything, because these, these people can't even translate the Bible in a language that they understand. Half of them believe the world is still flat and that they're still in their little own little world. And so to know that there's a big world around them, that is not what we are concerned about. They can still know who Christ is by what, by believing on the person. That's the gospel. You know, we have general revelation. We can walk out. We can see that, the stars were created. The world is created. We know that that something did that. That's our general. That's our general revelation. We are without excuse. It tells us right, and we are responsible then to understand that if we are without excuse, when we go share the gospel in these third world countries, they are not worried about soteriology at the. T- they are not worried about all these things that come into play first and foremost before we even get to that. They have to believe on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's the faith that we cling to. And that's why Paul keeps saying, what I preach is Christ crucified, because it's not just believing facts. It's believing on the person of Jesus Christ, that the God man actually lived in flesh, like it tells us in Philippians 2.8. He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so before we can even get to 
believe the convincing, we have to believe on the person of Jesus Christ, like you say. And so the most important thing when we go out of America and out of countries that have resources and plenty of, you know, Bible dictionaries and books and this and that, when you go to a third world country, when you go to someone to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're sharing the gospel. You're, you're, you're hoping that they will repent and place their faith in Christ because they're believing on a person and that person we don't see. That's the faith that we cling to, right? The, the assured hope that we have is in Christ Jesus, the person. And so I love that MacArthur and you, and we have to believe on the person of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing when we share the gospel and we can all continue to share the full gospel and the true gospel, because what we're trying to do is appeal to them to say, no, repent and believe on this person. And guess what? Then when you believe in Christ, then we start to become sanctified and, you know, the spirit is given to us and we can start reading his word and understanding it, but they don't go over to a third world country. You know, my friend has explained to me and sit down and start walking through the other parts of the Bible because they don't understand that yet. They understand because they have an assured faith when they believe on the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're without excuse to keep sharing the gospel. That is the most important thing. And Paul knew that. And that's the convincing. It's not Christ through experience or direct revelation. Like Aaron said, we have his written and inspired word. It's without error. It's sufficient. It's complete. It holds all we need for godliness in this life. And so then it talks about um, the next part of the verse is it says, um, let me get up here real quick. Um, and convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So what is being guarded and what is being entrusted until that day, Aaron? Yeah, um, because God is obviously all powerful. He's he's omnipotent and the full payment has already made, whether Paul was actually talking about his physical trial or his soul, both are true. And so um, likely it is it, like you can't entrust your soul to the Lord and then not trust him with your circumstances. So it could be just a both and right there that he's convinced that um, God was able to guard what he had entrusted to him, which was just the totality of his life, which included his soul, which included his circumstances, um, and that Christ had already done the work that that he needed to do to change Paul's heart. He could now trust him with all that he was and that nothing was going to separate him from the love of God in Christ. And so he was able to entrust that even when he's going to be beheaded by Nero, that his soul is entrusted to the Lord. And like he said in Philippians, it is far better for me to depart and be with the Lord uh, but, but I know that I, I'm hard pressed on either side to, to stay here for your, for your fruitfulness. He, he wanted to do that. That was not the better thing. It was, it was better for him to depart and be with the Lord. Um, but he's in a different situation now. He's actually facing death. He's, he's not going to get out of prison. And so he, there, he just has this confidence that he is going to see the Lord and he entrusted him, um, from the moment of salvation to be able to, to guard his life and, and his soul and that he would see him when he departed to be with him. And so we just want to make sure that, um, you ladies are convinced that God is able to keep you and guard you because a lot of times compromise comes because we just, we really don't trust the Lord with our circumstances. And so we take matters into our own hands. We're afraid of what will happen to us. I get it. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be beaten. But when you have it in your mind that, 
like you want to stay away from those things that that's when compromise can come in. And so Paul had entrusted his life and his heart and his soul to the one who had given his life to save him. And so he didn't need to fear those things. And so we have to be so careful, um, that we trust the Lord with those situations. And we trust him that when we're in those situations and they will come, um, that God is going to give us the grace that we need in and amongst those moments. We, we don't look ahead to the circumstances that you don't know if you're going to face them or not. Um, he doesn't give you grace for tomorrow. He gives you grace for the moment that you're in, and then you can draw strength for, from him. But what a moment of worship that we can just really entrust like Paul, um, our soul to him and that, uh, he, he is able to guard what, what we've entrusted to him, which is our, our soul. I mean, he's already paid the biggest cost you could ever pay to redeem us. Why would he let us go at this point? And he won't because it's all based upon his work. And so we're thankful, um, that he will never go back on the covenant that he's made with us by his blood through his son. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we'll get to assurance and, and persevering, you know, when we get to the, <clears throat> the part about the Holy Spirit, but, and I know there's a lot to say on that, but yeah, we're kept by him. Um, we're kept and he will complete that work in us um, because we, it's his power that is, that is sustaining us. And um, it's nothing we can do. We can't lose our salvation. Um, there's nothing we can do to, um, to forfeit it. There's nothing we can do. If we're truly in Christ, then we've entrusted our souls to him. And we know that his work was completed on the cross. And that work is where our assurance comes from. It comes from Christ on the cross. It comes from the father before time, setting up his plan for the son to die, to take on the sin so that we would have assurance of salvation. So the wrath would be removed from us and that he would carry out that work of sanctification in us till we are glorified because we do still have sin. Um, but we understand that because our souls have been entrusted, that he is a good God who is faithful, who doesn't go back on his word, who cannot change. And so therefore, if he is unchanging, then we know that our assurance, our salvation is assured and our eternity is guaranteed. And so it says until that day, what does that day mean? Yeah, it's the day we see Christ face to face, whether that's we die and we see him face to face or uh, we are we are raptured and and we see him face to face. And so for those who don't know Christ, it is the great white throne of judgment for them um, it, when they die, they will they will come face to face with the Lord at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. I know that there's some people who take the, that day as the Bema seat of Christ, um, which is also an option as well. Um, but that day, like, like think about it. The whole reason why Paul could get through his trials was because he had his heart set on that day. He was going to see the bridegroom face to face. And that's why we can, we can get through the trials of our life is because we know that we will see his great pleasure in us. He will delight in us. He will reward us. And so Paul just had this this heavenly mindset that, that everything that he did was so motivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day he will come face to face with him. He's, he mentions it all the time when he's writing. And so if you don't have your heart set on eternity, if you don't have your heart set on the fact that 
you know, you're, you're going to have this body resurrected in imperfection. So in, in the spiritual aspect, like, uh, first Corinthians 15 says, you won't be able to endure the bodily trials that you face of pain and suffering and, and all the things that you face with this broken body that we live life in, because you'll be so set on the here and now, but if you're looking forward to the moment when we will have resurrected bodies and we will look at with glorified eyes, the majesty and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that helps you get through those trials to draw strength from the Lord when, you know, or when you're facing men and you have to proclaim your allegiance publicly to the Lord Jesus Christ, you picture that moment, you will see him not putting your eyes on the things in front of you because that'll just cause you to trip up. And so uh, really this lesson, we wanted you to have your heart often set on that day. Think about your royal robes that are coming to you and think about, um, you know, God will avenge himself. And in, in Revelation six, it talks about how the, the saints in the tribulation are under the throne and they're saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood. And he says, just a little while longer. And he is going to come to to rule and to reign and to judge the nations. And we, we, when judgment does not come on this earth, we know that the judge is coming and he will conquer and he will rule. And that is going to be the most incredible day. And so when we have our hearts set on all of that stuff, um, we can just, we can be set on his mission here to share the gospel to make disciples, teaching them all that God has commanded them and not be tripped up by, by wanting heaven now or eternity now that's coming. And, and that's going to be a glorious day. But right now we have a mission. We're slaves of Christ and we are to be faithful with the gospel. You're not going to be able to change this world anyway, without the gospel. So I, I don't know how people think they're going to Christianize nations without proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ and the exclusive, the exclusivity of, of him. And so um, you know, it's putting the cart, but it's putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but, uh, our job is to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, and I love what Paul said, for I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so that was his mission and he completed his mission and it was a great, he, his mission was not faulty. It did not lack anything. And, uh, and so we can be confident when we have our hearts set on those, that last day, when we see him face to face, um, everything is going to come into view for us. And that is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And that day, you know, like she said, it's the day of his appearing. Um, we talk about, you know, the verse second Timothy one 18 is a cross verse, but it says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know, well, all the service that he rendered at Ephesus talking about that. And then second Timothy four, eight with Paul talking about that. And then second Timothy four, eight, henceforth, there is laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So when that day comes, that's when our crown comes of righteousness, but the, the, it leads into the reason that we talk about that day is because the verse after that, as Paul is talking to Timothy, which I have to scroll all the way up to the top um, says, we retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus guard through the Holy spirit who dwells in us, the treasure, which has been entrusted to you. And so Paul is able look at the verse before that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. He knows the Lord is guarding his soul. He knows that he 
that he's entrusted his soul to him. And until that day comes when we are glorified, when we receive our crown of righteousness, we can trust that Christ is, is doing that. And that's where it comes from God being the righteous judge. He's going to award that to us on that day. Um, and those who have loved his appearing, those who have persevered and endured till the end will see Christ's face. And so we are kept by Christ that if we're truly his children, then we are kept by him. There's no one that can snatch us from his hand. And so he will continue to do a work on us on this earth. But it, the most important thing is that we are living lives that glorify Christ in the midst of suffering. And in the midst of all that is going on, we stay true to not a not an ideology. We stay true to Christ Jesus. And so retain the standards of sound words. What, what is that, Erin? What does that mean? Retain the standard of sound words. What do you have for that? Yeah, we have, um, so question one on day four, it says, what does it mean to retain the standard of sound, sound words? And then the ESV translates it as follow the pattern of sound words. And the KJV says, hold fast the form of sound words. We must hold on to sound doctrine, which is healthy teaching and follow it Amen. because your doctrine will dictate your orthopraxy. If you're spending your life looking at the world, wanting to conquer the world, you will start to look like the world. You just will. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are, if your focus is to retain the standard of sound words, of healthy words, of, of sound teaching, um, that will lead to a, a sound living. So sound doctrine leads to sound living. And so Paul is telling Timothy here, don't lose sound doctrine. Like I'm passing the baton to you. Like our lesson is called. Um, and, and it's so important that you hold on to that standard and what's the standard it's perfection. Um, we, we don't meet, we don't meet that standard. Christ meets that standard. Um, but the pattern for sound words or the example for sound words, it, it's perfection. And so we have to be so careful what we're listening to, what we're taking in, um, and are we spending more time in scripture than we are reading theological books? Those are wonderful and great. And I love Puritans and dead men because their theology doesn't change. Um, but, yeah. but how much am I taking in of the word? And I've seen so often in ministry that, um, people read so many outside sources and it's getting worse now because social media is full of sound bites and reels mm -hmm. and, and just these pithy sayings where, where as you, your phone is changing your brain, the more that you look at it, the incapability for people to be able to just sit and linger over the word. And, you know, you, you see it in men's preaching and like that people can't listen to long sermons or, you know, we've had some new people come to the church and leave because there's like, this guy preaches way too long. And you're like, he hasn't preached long enough. Like I could sit and listen to this guy, preach the word of God <laughs> the whole day, like try try standing with Nehemiah for eight hours or nine hours or however much it was. Um, but, and so the information is coming at people so fast and they have so much information in their mind that when they go to read the word of God, they have all of these competing voices and they can't actually read God's word for what it is. And so that right. is one of the cautions of social media and, and podcasts and all of these things that you're taking in. Are you first rooted and grounded in sound doctrine by being a Brian, by being under the sound teaching, hopefully of your local church um, and, and the preaching of the word of God and knowing the word for yourself, testing that preaching uh, 
again, being that Berean, because the cost is the word of God. And, and so, you know, sound words is it's the gospel and it's the totality of who Christ is and the Godhead and the complete word of God. And so the, the buck stops at us. If we lose sound doctrine, like that's not a good thing. And I know that the Lord makes the promise that he will um, build his church. So we never have to fear that, but we can cause great damage in churches. If we're not retaining the standard of sound words and ladies, I have to warn you, error moves faster than the truth. And so when you see movements coming in and out of the church and how fast they move, be careful with those movements. Um, they move fast. And so there's a standard and a pattern, especially for preachers to follow. And that's really what Paul's hitting at here as Timothy's his apostolic delegate, and he's set up elders in the cities um, to retain that sound doctrine, that healthy doctrine, and don't move from it. Um, and so know the word, love the word, uh, make sure that you are growing in your flow of scripture and your understanding of scripture, not with somebody else's mind, with your mind, with the spirit, sitting with the word of God and knowing what it says. Um, and so we just have to be really, really careful of that. And then, and, and then when you have sound doctrine out of that flow, sound living and, mm -hmm. and holy living. And that's something that I'm seeing really set aside in our, in Christendom right now is this, just this pursuit of changing culture, but, but where is the mandate to, um, disciple and to teach all that God has commanded his will for you is your sanctification is your holiness. Um, and so there's just some things moving in and out of the church today that are really alarming because I feel like it's a direct hit on sanctification. Um, but God is for your holiness because it's the image of Christ in you that is glorifies him. And, and he loves seeing the image of Christ in you. And so we have to be really focused that, um, we're keeping sound doctrine and out of that sound doctrine is high and holy living. Um, Susanna Spurgeon put it this way that, um, she, how did she put it? Uh, the low standard of piety really like got to her. And, and that's what she called it that in the Christian life, the low standard of piety. And so when you have a standard of high doctrine, you will have a standard of high and holy living. And so that is one of the, the ways that, um, and, and then you see that in the following verse. So the, the sound words that you've heard from me, from Paul to Timothy in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And so that flows into action. So I don't know if you have anything to say on that, and then we can move on to that detail. Yeah. So, um, so talking about this, the standard of, um, sound words, the standard is the gospel. The standard is the word of God. The standard is not this particular teacher or this particular book, or I stand with this man because he has this standard. Our standard is Christ Jesus. And MacArthur makes that really, really clear. Um, you know, we know that, that be Christian colleges, this is what he says, Christian colleges, seminaries, pastors, and other church leaders who deviate from scripture, defecting to a different gospel and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ, Galatians 1, 6, and 7. Ladies, that's a warning that if there is anything that deviates or goes against the word of God and the gospel or tweaks it or adds something, that is a false gospel. And you need to be aware. You need to be searching the scriptures. You need to be reading the scriptures, meditating on it. You need to have the correct hermeneutics. You need to, to not be able to 
understand that this person says that because it's a nuance. What does the word of God say? You're not listening to a person. You're listening to the word of God. And so this is what he says, which I think this further, you know, Aaron will be able to, to talk on this too, but this is what MacArthur says. And this is so true to what we've been talking about. During a radio interview some years ago, I said what is particularly tragic about the many scandals that plague evangelicalism today is the fact that so many churches and so many individuals who call themselves Christian have little concern for biblical truth and biblical standards of living in the name of love, understanding and peace within the church and with society. Almost any theology is accepted or at least not challenged, no matter how much it may contradict scripture. So that is what we're seeing coming into our churches is that now, because we're choosing this person to stand alongside, I am not even going to speak God's truth to that person because this person is saying that therefore I align with them and not this person. And so what they must be saying must be true, even though I have scripture that is contradicting that because we place so much emphasis on academia. And that's why he says that he says Christian colleges, seminaries, pastors who are deviating from scripture. We are seeing this come out of our seminaries from men who held to sound teaching and all of a sudden they're being tossed to and fro and they're taking people with them in our congregation and they're dividing. And so we must defend the word of God, like Aaron says, and we do it in a loving way. And MacArthur says that when you defend God's word in a self-righteous, unloving spirit, the resulting controversy and opposition are not caused wholly by the offense of the truth itself, but also by the offensive and unspiritual way in which we proclaim it. We are to defend God's word in the faith with the right attitude of confidence towards God. And so when we look at that verse, retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me, we're still called to retain that standard. There is a standard of sound words. And we cannot be afraid if someone, whether it's some popular Christian author or whoever it is, if they are saying things that cause us to take a step back and say, is that revealed in scripture? We have the full canon of scripture. So we don't need anything else added to it. We don't need Roman Catholicism. We don't need federal vision. We don't need um, Thomas Aquinas and, and all of this academia. We need the word of God and the gospel. And when we stay with the truths of scripture, then we don't drift and deviate. And we're not seeing these divisions because one person is over here saying this and this other person is saying this. Well, one of them has to be wrong. So guess what? We're going to go based on what the word of God tells us. If I sit my daughter down to read the Bible and she reads a verse, what the verse says is the truth, right? I'm not, the, the text is telling me what the truth is. Now I have to have the correct hermeneutics and apply it, but I need to understand that I'm not looking in saying, what do I pull out of this? What's my opinion on this? What's my view on this? We want to stand with the scriptures of God. And guess what? Those things that we don't know, they'll be revealed to us in scripture. If they're secret things, like if we're premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, we really don't need to be debating on that. We need to be still speaking the gospel truths because those things will be revealed. But when we start putting our view over the word of God and getting away from, then that's when we start seeing people choose sides. And that's what's going on. We're seeing so much division from that. But if 
our standard is what? Ladies, remember, your standard is the word of God. It's not a particular person on this view, not a particular person on that view. It's the word of God. And so we have to be able to defend it. We have to be able to hold fast, like Aaron said, to the pattern of sound words. And after writing, we understand that Paul is bold in that. And he calls Timothy and all godly ministers to be faithful to God's truth. And so we do not want to deviate from scripture. We want to be able to look at God's word and we want to be able to retain the standard of sound living of what the word says, and we don't really need to go anywhere else. And so that's why we understand the truths that as Paul is speaking to Timothy, he's just encouraging him, just stand for the gospel, just keep standing for the gospel and for the sound words, which you have heard from me. Who did he hear those from? From the Lord Jesus Christ. We all hear the words of God through scripture on the gospel. It's very, very clear. And when we go out to talk to our neighbors and the unbelieving world about the gospel, I guarantee you they could care less about the academia that I have. I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where I need to live in that. And so that way I don't get puffed up with knowledge, with academia, with thinking I know better because of this, because then we start reading in what we want to believe and our opinions and how we want to break down the text and our hermeneutics starts getting everywhere. And that's where we have to be so careful. We need to keep standing with the truths of scripture. And so that's, that's why he tells him to guard it and to know that it's entrusted, that Christ has entrusted our souls because he died for them. And so it says through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So let's talk about um, the assurance and that that we have. We have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we know that we're sealed, right? And we know that we have a pledge from the Spirit that we will see God carry out his work in us through his word. And that's where we start to see the, the sanctification because we have the spirit now who indwells in us because we heard the gospel. We believed on Christ Jesus, the person, and we understand the gospel. And therefore we're guarded and protected in that faith and love, which are found only in Christ Jesus. So it says through the Holy spirit who dwells in us, the treasure, which has been entrusted to you. So talk a little bit about that last verse, unless there's some more things you want to add. Yeah. I just want to add to just the, the warning of, you know, when we live the Christian life, we're not in a vacuum. We, we have, we do life within a church, within a body, uh, with, with the whole years of church history from Christ ascension on. Um, and so we need to be so careful as women, how Mm -hmm. we conduct ourselves because the passages in scripture, like, like we should not just be out teaching things not under the leadership of our church, not under the leadership of our husbands. I'm sorry, ladies, but there was a reason why Satan deceived Eve. <laughs> and, and I'm going to get hammered on both sides with this and that's okay. But there's a reason why in second Timothy chapter three, when Paul is talking about men, false teachers to avoid, he says for among them are those who enter into household and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never, ever coming to a knowledge of the truth. We have to be so careful as women, what we're allowing into our homes. Is it sound? Is it healthy? Is it under the leadership of my husband? And, and we're responsible to our local church too. It's not just 
you're doing life as a family without the body that you've committed to in the local church. And we have to be so careful. Again, Paul is talking about the last days when he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing and kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And I think we're seeing this. I've heard of four churches in the last three weeks that have split because teaching is coming into these churches and the, the people within the churches are acquiring teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they're shutting their leadership out, the ones who have been entrusted with their souls to be able to speak sound doctrine to them. And so you have to be so careful because sound doctrine, there's sound living after that. Paul talks about in, in love that we speak the truth in love and that um, the fruit of the spirit comes pouring forth out of our doctrine. And so if you're bringing things into your life that are causing you to a question your leadership, um, and the faithfulness that they've always stood on, and then your hearts are becoming hard towards other believers, you need to step back and go, what is it about this theology that is causing a lack of love in my heart towards people is having me question them is having them question my love for them. Um, and just stop for a minute and go, what am I breathing in and taking in and what kind of teachers am I acquiring in, in accordance with my own desires that I'm now holding people off at arm's length. That that's really serious. And I think like, this is what Paul wanted Timothy to guard against sound doctrine leads to sound living. And as women, we have to be so careful with this. And Brooke, I know you're the same as me, this podcast, the lessons for women's ministry, my mm -hmm. Instagram, all of my stuff is, is overseen by my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, that my leadership has full access to, mm -hmm. um, that I don't, I don't say things and do things on my own, that my husband has, has the, the authority over my life because he's been given that role by God. Um, mm -hmm. and so I, the things that I write, he reads them and he knows <laughs> that I posted them. And yep. so because I I'm aware that I have the remnant of sin in me, that I have my mother Eve, the remnant of her still in me, even though I'm being renewed day by day. Um, and so we just have to be so careful as women that we are retaining the standard of sound words of sound doctrine that's leading to holy living. And if there is not, if holy living is not coming out of your theology. Um, and I always say this to our women, I've said it for years when we went through first Peter, six years ago, seven years ago, um, that true godliness is evidenced in the spheres of authority that God has placed in your life, the government, yep. your church leadership, your husband, you, even your boss, it's a slave master relationship there, but you, your, your, your boss. Um, and so if you are balking against the authority in your life, and I know people can go, well, you did that with the government, uh, with church. And it's like, well, the government was asking us to sin by not, <laughs> by, by not doing what God had mandated. But, and I had to step up a couple, a couple times and go like, am I, um, am I just totally blowing off my, my, the authority of the government that God has put in place over my life? Um, because I should still have a respect, even though they're not respectable, I should still have an honor for them because scripture commands me to have an honor. I should still talk about them in a way that, um, my words are following second Timothy two twenty four through 
26, I think it is, um, where there's a gentleness and kindness with my opponents so that I can win them over so that if I was ever to stand before my prime minister, I can stand with, um, full confidence that I have not said anything in which would undo my ability to be able to speak the gospel to him. Um, and so just what is your heart towards the various spheres of authority? And it's, it's so often that I have women come to me and go, you know, I'm doing really well in my Christian life, but I've just got this, this, this small piece of the pie that I'm really struggling with. And that's submission to my husband. And I'm like, Oh, sister, <laughs> your submission is not a piece of the pie. It's the entire pie. <laughs> that's how, you know, how your relationship is with the Lord. That's like your barometer is how is your submission to your husband? How is your submission to your church leadership? How is your submission to your government? How is your heart towards those things? Um, and so we just have to be really careful as women that God has put these protections in our life to be able to evaluate our heart. What's coming out of me? Is it the fruit of the spirit? Is it the love from first Corinthians 13? Or is there the fruit of the flesh? Is there division? Right. Is there gossip? Is there slander? Is there fleshliness, ungodliness? Um, all of that, what's coming out of me. And so I think that Paul, he's just, he's, he's hitting on some of that, that, you know, if you don't retain sound words, you will have a hard time with sound living. Um, so let's move along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you talked about the ladies being careful. We, they've got to be able to understand what the scripture says. We get our, we get our authority from our local church that is over us with our pastor and our elders who should be sound men who have been called and equipped if they truly are called by God. You know, we see that some men do not hold the the biblical qualifications to be elders or pastors. Therefore they shouldn't be in that office period. But, you know, you're going to, you see these things in churches where, uh, you know, the man does something that is unbiblical um, and it, he's clearly gone against the standards yet. He's still in place as an elder. And so, you know, my, our, our charge to you too, is get in a sound church and trust your leadership and your local, your local church, because that is the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not a conference. It's not seminaries. It's not a podcast. The work of the ministry is done in the local church. And that's where we get our teaching from the man of God that has been called by God to hold that office. That is a supernatural. We'll go back. That is supernatural calling. And so ladies, if you're listening to ladies who are doing sound bites and you know, what is there even their spiritual gift? Are they even at women's ministry serving? Are they in teaching roles, but yet they're doing that on their Instagram? You have to be real careful about that because there's a big difference between able to write and being able to teach. Anyone can take time and look up some stuff and come up with some good words and some verses, but the office of teaching, that's a supernatural calling for gifted men held in that office. And for women, female teachers, obviously we don't teach men and it's completely different in the church and the women's ministry. But like Aaron said, that retain the standard comes from sound gospel ministry, which you should be hearing from your pastor and if you don't have a pastor that's not sound, you need to find a sound church. But what you don't need to be doing is taking what your pastor's saying, but then measuring it up against what your favorite dude over here is saying that's written a book that's in this conference, because he is not your authority. You are under the local 
headship of that pastor of that local church. And that's how Christ ordained it. That's how he instituted it. In fact, we wouldn't even know half the things that are going on like they didn't if we didn't have social media. We wouldn't have all these other things going on. And so you cause division when you don't retain the sound words that your pastor is teaching. And as you're reading the scripture and studying yourself, when you start to believe other people and bring in their views. And so we know that there are false teachers. I mean, it says they, they went out amongst you, right? But they weren't of us, right? They're going to look that part. There are men behind the pulpits that are twisting, deviating, that are going to look that part. And, you know, we pray the Lord will shine his light into the darkness of those things. But we have to understand that we get our deposit, we get our sealed redemption, through the work of Christ on the cross. And then we have the Holy Spirit that helps us understand how to become sanctified more by reading the word and by listening to our leadership in our local church. And so that's really all I have to say about that. And um, yeah, I think and you did even a great listening job. to us, even listening Absolute. to us, I, I would never, ever want to set a woman against her leadership. If she's hearing something no. come from us, then there is a biblical and, and it's true and it's right. Um, and, and biblical that then there's a biblical way to deal with your leadership, um, that you should be dialoguing with them and talking to them. And if they're and you know, if they ever have a problem with something that they, we say like, they could talk to us, <laughs> but when I, women contact me online and they ask me questions about their leadership, I am always trying to push them back to their leadership and not divide. Even if their leadership is wrong, I'm always like, you know what? James is the kind of man where he is an over communicator. He wants to talk about things because the enemy has this way of coming in and dividing when there's no conversation happening. And there's, there's just these images and stories that can be created behind the scenes. And I've been in ministry long enough to see this happen over and over again. Um, and, and even like yeah. in marriage that happens, right. Where you, you think your husband's doing something. And so you just put this whole scenario through your, your mind and you go to him and that's not at all what happened. You just created this whole story in your mind about who he is and why he said something or why he did it. And, um, and so I want to be careful that I'm always pushing women back to their leadership. And maybe it's yeah. a church that, you know, that they, they shouldn't be in because they just don't have the yeah. same doctrine. Well, there is a biblical way to go to that leadership and separate with love yes. and, and with integrity and doing it the right way. Um, because James and I, we did it the wrong way when we um, embraced sound teaching and Calvinism and all of that, we lit fires in our church. And years later, I was convicted through Mark MacArthur's preaching that we had just, we had done it all wrong. And I had to go back to my pastor and say, you know what? I still stand where I stand theologically, but what we did was wrong. It, we should have not lit these right. fires. We should not have caused division. Will you please forgive me? And he was like, yeah, I'll forgive you. Absolutely. What we should have done in that moment right. was just left when, because we, and we were right. maliciously, right. We were, we were going like, we should, people need to hear this. Like, why is this not being talked about? And so when, when people would kind of be like, Whoa, you know, that's Calvinism. You're kind of like, I didn't know what Calvinism was. I just knew what I saw in scripture. I'm like, well, maybe I'm not saying this right. Maybe I need to say it another way. And so then you're having all of these conversations, but you're, you're breeding schisms and division in the church. And, uh, and so we just have to be really careful. There's a way to, to do things, but there's also the point that it needs to be done. And these godly men that are pastors, we need to stand up for the truth. That's what Paul and Timothy were doing. They were retaining the words, the sound doctrine, the gospel. And so they defended it. And so we need to have godly men who are willing to put aside popularity. And if the world hates them or if other 
um, you know, denominations or, or um, you know, views of, of sociology, if they hate them because they're standing for the truth. And we have to be so careful with that, knowing that there's a right way to do it. Um, but, but I think that there is a way to do it and we are called to do it. And like you said, you had to put out those fires. You went and asked for forgiveness, but you stood where you stood because you held to the truth of God's words. And so we need to encourage each other to keep holding to that standard of the truth of God. And so absolutely. And so we, I think that's, that's good. Are you good with that? That's the treasure. I mean that, and you only guard it by the Holy spirit who reveals the truth to you. The treasure is the gospel on day five. We have question five, Paul wanted Timothy to guard the truth of the gospel and hand it down to faithful men in the church who would also teach others, which is second Timothy two, one through two, which we'll get to in a few lessons because Satan loves to attack the leadership of the church in this area. Why do you think that is? Satan works so as to discredit men and, and usually it's through pejoratives. It's through character attacks. It's, it's through half truths or untruths. Um, I mean, I I could think of the same argument against my husband's character, which couldn't be farther from the truth that people say about him. And, uh, because Satan attacks a leadership and, and especially with a church that has just stood upon the truth of God and the word of God in such a high season, Satan is going to come in and attack that church. And he's going to undermine the stand that these godly men took and start to attack their character. And so you, we have to be so careful that we're guarding the truth that these men are guarding the truth and that we are, we're protecting the local church because that's how Satan comes in as he undermines the truth. Because if you discredit a leader, you discredit the truth. And, uh, and so that's a very serious thing. And so we need to make sure that like Timothy, even though the charge was to Timothy, the apostolic delegate, that the man who is going to put elders in place is also to us too, to make sure we're guarding that truth, guarding the local church and make sure that we're just not, not many of you should become teachers, my brethren. I mean, like, yep. I, I would not be in the position that I was in had not my elders and my husband oversee my life. And, and there's a time. <laughs> There's a time when it's just not time for you to teach. And uh, I, I, I have a really quick story about that. We, we came to Grace Life and we wanted a women's ministry set up. And James was like, let's, let's do a minute women's ministry. Well, the elders weren't all unified on that. And so for three years, I committed to praying for a women's ministry. And I faithfully discipled the young women that were in front of me, just Bible study in my own home. And uh, it never occurred to me that the reason why that three years took as long as it did was not because my elders wouldn't let me do it. It was because Aaron was not ready. (laughs) It never occurred to me that I needed that time to show my leadership, my doctrine, my life, my love of my husband, my love of my children, the Titus two ministry. Uh, I was not ready. And so I was taught really early on, do not assume the seed of honor before the time. And so I was going to wait until the people in my life were like, okay, Aaron, this is a position we're going to put you in to disciple the women of grace life. And that time came and, uh, praise the Lord for it, because I could have done a lot of destruction had I been publicly teaching the word at that time. And so just be patient. And now I've been teaching the Bible for over 10 years and, um, and still, and have that fear in my heart that I want to be so faithful, but I need um, godly men to oversee my life and my ministry. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. We talked a lot about just 
being able to be bold, understand the truths of scripture, retaining the standard, which is God's word, being unashamed, believing because we believed on Christ. Therefore, we're convinced that he's going to guard what he's entrusted. Our souls are belong to him. There's nothing that can take that. And so therefore we, we guard through the Holy spirit that what dwells in us. We understand the truths that we have professed. And therefore, since we are in Christ, we receive this, the pledge and we are sealed with the spirit until the day of glorification. And so the treasure, what a treasure we have in Christ. Let's hold to that word, ladies. Let's, let's stay with the treasures of the truths of scripture and let's not deviate. So let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for this time, Lord, for your word, that it is what divides because it is truth alone. And because it's authoritative and inerrant and because you, God, are our perfect God who is unable to make a mistake, you are complete and whole and inerrant. Your word, therefore, is. And so we can trust trust the truths of it and we can hold to the standard of godliness because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we have placed our faith in the person who we have called on, who has redeemed us and given us eternal life because we repented and placed our faith in him. Um, understanding we're sinners and the wrath was abiding on us, storing up, heaping it for ourselves. So Christ died to take that wrath, take that punishment for our sin. And father, we thank you for your word that as we read and understand it, we are transformed by it. Help us to guard it. Help us to treasure it in your son's name. We pray. Amen. Amen.